welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Chagiga, daf Gimel, page three. Um, okay, I want to talk about the top of the daf. The top of the daf is relating to a statement in the Mishnah that we read yesterday that was talking about all of the people who are, in addition to the people who are obligated in the mitzvah of Re'iyah, there's also the list of the people who are not obligated. And on that list is a cheresh, a person who's a deaf or deaf muter. In that person's capacity. The very, very bottom of yesterday's daf uh, brings in a breita, which is going to lead into the, what I want to talk about on our daf. So I'll come and explain that bit going forward. But what happens is we have here. Uh, another statement. It's not the one that was taken to be used in the Mishnah, but it is a compar- a parallel statement, a comparable statement about how everybody is obligated in the mitzvah of Re'iyah. But here it's a, a joint mitzvah, the mitzvah of Re'iyah and the mitzvah of Simcha, of joy, happiness, rejoicing. And then it says, except for the person who is deaf, who can speak but does not hear, and one who can hear but does not speak. Meaning... Not because they're choosing to be silent, but because they're not al- they're not able to speak. Um, and they, these two, um, uh, what is it called? Personalities. It's not a personality. It's with anybody with these characteristics um, is exempt from the mitzvah of Re'iyah. And then the the Gemara goes on. Vafalpi or the Brita Vafalpi Shapatur Mina Re'iyah. Even though they are exempt from Re'iyah, Chayav B'Simcha. They are obligated to rejoice. And the bright that goes on, now we're on Ardaf. Somebody who does not hear and does not speak. And somebody who is lacking uh, cognitive faculties. And um, a katan, a minor, right? All of these people are exempt. They are also exempt from the joy part of it, in addition to the riyah part of it. Because these people, these categories of people are exempt from all mitzvot. So once they're exempt from all of the mitzvot say, really is what it's talking about, right? Then then the positive commandments, then they're going to be exempt from these as well. It's not specific to the ability to see, right? Or to make it appear, right? The, the re'iyah factor isn't relevant. Um, it's the, simply that it's a positive commandment. And every, let's say, minor is exempt. And so that's what the Gemara says here. Once it asks this question, what's the difference about Re'iya versus Simcha? Specifically for the person who is a deaf but can speak and mute, meaning somebody who cannot speak but can hear, what does it mean that they are exempt but they are obligated for the rejoicing? Why, why are they different? from the other mitzvot in the Torah to begin with, that they have this particular caveat. So the Gemara explains, So we learn the whole issue of re'iyah, of, of an appearance, let's say, right? That this is learned from, um, we've talked about this before, but not recently, the mitzvah of hakel. Hakel is a, uh, I don't know, it's every seven years, but it's at, at the year after the Shemitah year, all the people would gather, and there's a recitation of, of passage passages from Devarim, 
but it's everybody is gathering at the Beit Hamikdash on, well, as part of the as part of the Chag, And here's the verse that proves all this: Hakel etaab anashim vanashim vataf. So that's that's the mitzvah of Hakel. Gather, um, make a make a gathering of all of the nation, the men and the women and the children. So there you see that the women and the children are included. And then we have another verse, and this is, by the way, Devarim, Deuteronomy 31. And everybody should become, everybody of Israel should be Leiraot, should come to be seen, basically is what it says. You know, see and be seen, um, to make an appearance, to be there. So the point that is that the same way that you know, you go back to the exemptions of the people from all of the mitzvot of the Torah. So the same way that a deaf person and a mute person might be exempt from other things, right? So then we would say that they're not going to be obligated to come to the Beit HaMikdash on any of the Chagim to begin with, right? Meaning it extends the, the question is, does it extend from this case of Re'iyah to the Simcha? Because the discussion is about an event, right, that's taking place on the holiday. At a time of simcha, So then the Gemara asks, you know, there when we're talking about hakel, So there we're talking about a place where it says that they should hear and that they should learn. Meaning, all of the nation is gathering for this person for this purpose, so that they can hear and so that they can learn. So if you can't hear, it obviously becomes a little more difficult to fulfill that verse. If hearing is a technical physical term. Right, I mean, we understand that there's a, a real sensitivity here in the way the Kabbara talks about those who have what we today might call disabilities. Today, we also don't let disabilities get in our way of people, you know, figuring out how to move forward. This discussion is presupposing, um, you know, a whole lot of other stuff that we no longer take as given about disabilities. We have talked about this in the past as well. And then the Gemara brings in the Brighta, Atanya, Leman Yishmu, says that you should hear Prat So that's going to exclude the person who can speak but cannot hear because of literally this. It says Yishmu. So if you cannot hear, then you cannot fulfill that element of the mitzvah. Leman Yilmedu, those who could learn, Prat The presumption here is that somebody who hears but cannot articulate afterwards suggests that this is really an uh, an interesting presumption and not necessarily in accord with um, our modern understandings uh, that somebody who hears but does not speak is not actually learning, is not actually able to learn, which suggests a very different kind of the idea that someone could they can hear, right? Like, they react to loud noises, let's say, but they do not respond verbally. It is that um, actually a sign of a, an issue of cognition or, you know, a lack of cognition, or is it some, you know, speak impediment? And that's, I think, um, you know, the crux of what the the words on the daf say versus how we would apply them nowadays. Okay. And now we get to the part that I find to be the most interesting on the staff because the Gemara says, Gemara says, is that to say that if you're not able to speak, you're not able to learn? Which I feel like is exactly the question that we want to throw at the Gemara. What are you talking about? Since when does you know the ability to speak 
have to do with the ability to learn. It's an interesting aside, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast as well. Oliver Sacks, Dr. Oliver Sacks in Speaking Voices is a book about the deaf world, the deaf community, talks about how people who do not develop language do not develop the same intellectual capabilities. But language can be developed in all different kinds of ways. And the book is largely about things like, you know, sign language and so on. Um, but it seems to be that the brain needs the neural networks or whatever that are developed through through language in order to be able to further develop cognition. Somebody who's living in a somebody who never encountered speech ever is presumed or I don't know, he had, you know, extreme cases that um, that impair the person's ability to analyze and, and so on, actual intellectual capabilities. Okay, so the Gemara goes on to give us a counterexample. So what happens? There were two mute people who lived in the, in the neighborhood. Shivavute is the neighborhood, in his neighborhood, of Rebbe Yudanasi. They're the sons of the daughter of Rabbi Yochanan ben Gudgida, meaning they are his grandchildren. Except for Maybe there is Nisa nephew. There are those who say that he his grandchildren, some say Nisa nephew. So what would happen? Rabbi Yudanasi would go into the Beit Midrash, he'd go into the study hall. And they, these uh, two mute people, two sons, I guess. They, I'm sorry, I said he's a nephew. I didn't mean that. Sons, and, sons, they're, they're both male, right? They're coming into the Beit Midrash and they would sit at his feet. Um, not literally at his feet, right? They would sit near him and sit, not listen. Leah, listen, meaning they're engaged, they're paying attention. How do we know that? Because they would sit there. Umenaide bereshu marchashin shvata. They would nod their heads and they would move their lips, meaning they got it. They were in the shear. They knew what was going on. So they could they could hear and they could not speak and they were understood to be understanding. They were for sure learning. And then what happens? Praise. He davens that that Hashem should have that God should have mercy on them, and then they were healed. And it was, and they discovered, they found when they, you know, now that they could speak because they've been healed, um, that they were very, very learned. They knew halacha, and they knew the sifra, meaning they of the learning that would have been happening in the Beit Midrash. Sifra and Sifrei and the entire Talmud, which again is an interesting formulation for a t- passage that is in what we today call the Talmud. But again, the whole of the, the corpus of learning at that time was something that they understood. So the Gemara concludes, you know, hello, yes, there are those who cannot speak and indeed are able to learn. Ah, the Gemara goes on to talk about this further, of course, but I feel like the presumption is an interesting one to begin with. And certainly there are people who are capable of hearing with their ears who are not capable of articulation afterwards and really don't have the cognitive ability behind it. We know that there are such people as well, but it's not a, it's not um, causative, right? There are correlations between those events. Some people cannot, cannot speak and do not have any 
you know, any cognitive, cognitive abilities to speak of. And, pardon the pun, and there are other people who have an impairment in their ability to speak, but not in their ability to 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 learn material, to to digest it, and so on. As I as I'm still having laryngitis, I'm particularly aware of this point. I should say. Well, I you know it's interesting because we've seen this term cherish before, and this is really the first stop that sort of delves deeply into it to help us understand what do they actually <laughs> mean by that term, um, and kind of thing in the Gemara we've talked about where sort of the Gemara expects you to know everything about everything, like where everything is. So the term appeared in many of the Masechtot that we've learned before, but this is the first time that we see sort of a real unpacking of all different types of cognition, hearing, speaking, not hearing, not speaking, and all the different types of combinations. Um, and it's and, it's a, and it brings in the Elaim, the person who is mute, right, and not Chiresh, which is also like an important like sidebar to the Cheresh conversation. So I'm going to move on to really what I think is one of my, if not my favorite piece of Gemara. Uh, it also has to do with the idea of hearing, but it's a different type of hearing. Um, and so this is probably going to be a little bit of longer than some of our typical episodes, but I, there's just so much on this stuff that I feel like we, we uh, you know, we, we owe it to ourselves to really read and learn. You have been it. talking about this Gemara, Yordina, I think since Brachot. My favorite Gemara, and I think it just gives us a particular philosophy of life that I think, unfortunately, is, is sort of getting lost. Philosophy about learning and why learning Gemara, what, what does Gemara actually teach us? Uh, what does it actually teach us to be able to sit and read uh, a, a corpus of law where people by nature are going to disagree with each other and that there's a value in that? And so the Gemara is in the middle of, uh, I'm going to read a little bit before him because it's also uh, sort of a nice part, right? Tana Rabbanan. So they they learned at a brace of the rabbis. Ma'asab Rabbi Yochanan ben Bruka Rabbi Elazar ben Chisma. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Bruka Rabbi Elazar ben Chisma. Sha'achula kabel b'nei Rabbi Yoshua b'pikin. They went to go get, uh, they went to visit Rabbi Yoshua in Pekin. So, okay, we're talking about here third generation Tanas, Rabbi Yoshua. And just to know a couple things here, the, the main Beit Midrash is in Yavna, but Rabbi Yeshua lives in Pekin. Amar Lahem, so Rabbi Yeshua says to them, Machidush Midrash What was sort of the Chiddush that was taught today, that, you know, the new teaching that was taught in the Beit Midrash today? And so they say, we are your disciples and we drink your waters. In other words, uh, it, it's you who teaches Torah. We're just the students. Amar Lahem, and then he says to them, even though that's true, it's impossible to sort of be in the Bay Midrash and not hear a Chidush. So he's saying, yes, I know I'm the teacher, but I still want you to teach me something. And then he says, Shabbat show me Haitai. So he says, whose week is it? So now this should remind us again of that famous Gemara, my other favorite Gemara, in Brachot Dav Zion, right? Where we had that, uh, you know, Machlokas between Rabbi Gamliel right? And Rabbi Yehoshua. Remember that Rabbi Gamliel wasn't so nice to Rabbi Yehoshua. He gets removed as the Nasi, Rabbi Gamliel, and they appoint Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. And uh, eventually, they end up that both Rabbi and Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah share being the Nasi. So what Rabbi Yehoshua is asking is, whose week was it to be the Nasi? Whose week was it to be in charge of the Beit Midrash? And so uh, they answer, you know, so they answer, Right, Shabbat to Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah had taught. So they say, oh, it's Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's week. Now, um, I think part of what's interesting here is, is that when we learned that Gemara and Brachot, 
we talked about the personality of Rabbi Eleazar ben Azariah and why he was chosen to be the Nasi. This Gemara, I think, actually adds to that because we're going to learn a very important teaching of Rabbi Eleazar ben Azariah that I think uh, makes us understand why he was chosen to sort of be the Nasi after this machlokas between Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua because he had a particular philosophy of learning. And it also explains us why it was Rabbi Eleazar ben Azariah who opens the Beit Midrash. Remember in the Gemara and Brachos, uh, that he opens the Beit Midrash, whereas Rabban Gamliel had sort of prevented uh, people from coming into the Beit Midrash to learn. Um, and so they say it was his week, right? And so he says, okay, so Rabbi Yeshua says, what was it that they were learning about? So he says they were learning about Hakel. And so Rabbi Yeshua says, okay, so what, 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 did, he, what did he teach about this? So this is the same pasuk and that you quoted before, right? That well, everyone, men, women, and children have to gather together. Again, a little bit different than the mitzvah of Re'iyah, which is just for the Zahar. This is everybody has to do hakel. So Rabbi Elazar explained that if men come to learn, and the women come to hear, right? Why do the small children come? Because the idea is they're too young to, to learn or to hear. In order to give a reward uh, to those who bring the children. Um, and so then Rabbi Yeshua says to them, A precious stone was in your hand. And you sought to withhold it with me. In other words, what he's trying to say is, you didn't want to teach me something, right? But really, this is a very, very uh, beautiful teaching, which I think teaches us a lot, and we don't have time fully to unpack it, but about the idea of sort of sometimes modeling things for our children, even though we know they're not going to fully understand it, but just the action of having them present teaches them something. And I think this is an important model about chinuch in itself, which we could spend a whole podcast on. But now's the part that uh, is very interesting to me. The Odrash. And here's something else that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah taught, right? Et Hashem HaMartayom. Right. One verse says, basically, here he quotes a pasuk in Devarim, chapter 26, verse 17, right, that says, uh, you have praised Hashem today, but Hashem hem hayom, and it says, and Hashem has praised, you, has praised you today, which is in the same chapter in Devarim, but it's verse 18. So Hashem says to B'nai Israel, you have made me the subject of sort of a unique praise in the world. And I will make you also the, the, you will be sort of unique praise in the world. Right, you have made me the, you know, unique praise. Right, so that's how, right, that Hashem is one God and the one to, right, right. Right, and what's the unique praise that I give you? Shinet Mar. Um, who is like your people that you are one unique nation, right? So this is a pasuk from Divrei uh, Hayamim Aleph from Chronicles 1, chapter 17, verse 21. And so the parallel here is, right, is that, right, God is one as as God, right? That it's, it, it's one being to believe in who controls the world. And the Jewish people are unique as they're one, uh, unified, uh, one unified, unique nation on earth, right? Mika, and usually we use this phrase when we tend to see like a tremendous act of chesed that Jews do for each other, right? The praise that we'll give is umika amcha Yisrael. What other nation is like this that cares for each other 
uh, in this unique way. And so it's a beautiful teaching that's sort of about the singularity of God and the singularity of the Jewish people. And now here's the next drasha he gives. And then he quotes now a very interesting pasuk uh, that's from Kohelet, chapter 12, verse 11. Right? The words of the wise are like uh, goads, right? Like sort of like uh, the sticks that you use to sort of prod cattle. And like nails well planted, right, are the, are the words of the masters of assembly, the ballet asufot, right, given from one shepherd. Okay, and so now he wants to unpack this very strange pasuk. So why are the words of Torah likened to a darvan, to this prod? So it's to teach you that just as a darvan sort of directs a cow along its path to bring, right, to bring forth uh, life into the world. In other words, so that fruits and vegetables will grow because you basically make sure that the cow doesn't trample, right, the vegetation. So, so too, the words of the Torah direct students, basically, from the paths of death to the paths of life, right? Like when you learn Torah, it directs you on a good path. Right, just like, right, if the words of Torah are basically compared to a darvan, right, and just as a darvan is movable, right, the words of Torah are also movable. And so I think what he, they're trying to say, you know, so that's also like an interesting, like, what exactly does that mean? Right. Um, and some people say what it could mean is that like a darvan doesn't last forever. So sometimes certain rabbinic decrees don't last forever. I like to think of it as saying that it's movable is that you could sort of can take the protection of Torah with you wherever you are. And remember, this is the generation that's learning in Yavna, which is sort of the first time that the center of Torah is not in Yerushalayim anymore. All right, and now it goes Talmud Lamar Mishmarot, right? What is this like nails? Right, if like we're saying the words of Torah are basically compared to nails, right? You might think just as a nail, uh, you know, diminishes and does not increase, right? The object of the wall, like in other words, it, it, it gets smaller when you put it into the, the, the it, 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 the object basically is diminished by the amount of space it occupies. Um, of the nail, okay? Um, so therefore, so too the words of Torah diminish and do not increase to those who observe them. So therefore the Torah says it's well planted. Just as the plant is fruitful and multiplies, so too the words of Torah, they cause one to also be fruitful and multiply. In other words, the idea is that it seems to be, I think that a nail sort of like disappears, right, when it's fixed to an object, but really it's saying, no, it's nitunim, it's something that actually flourishes. And then finally, he goes to balei asufot, okay, what does it mean, this masters of assemblies? These are the chachamim uh, who sit in different groups, right, and they study Torah. Some say, well, some of these groups will say something is tame, some will say something is tahor, some will say something is prohibited and something is permitted. Some will say something is pasul, it's disqualified, and some will say, no, it's kosher to be used. 
Shama Yomar Azam And so therefore a person could be in the Beit Midrash and he hears all these different opinions. Some saying Tame, some saying Tar, some saying Asur, some saying Mutar, some saying Pasul, some saying, some saying Kasher, right? In other words, there's tons of Machlokas here. And so a person basically could say, How is it that I can learn Torah? Every single subject, every single topic that's there, there's disagreement about. There's no real agreement, right? And therefore the Pasuk says it was all given from one shepherd. In other words, the emphasis is on the source. The idea that it's one Torah given from one shepherd is what's important. It's not about how it's debated afterwards. Um, right? So it says, right? One God gave them, one leader proclaimed them, referring to Moshe Rabbeinu, from the mouth of the master of all, of all, of all matters in this world. Right? So now they quote uh, a pasuk here from uh, Shemot chapter 20, uh, verse one. This is the, the, the chapter that describes Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah. Right, so it says that God spoke all these words. Apatasa. So now here's the, the piece that's really key. So you should make your ear like an afar chesed is like a, a it's like a type of sieve, right? In other words, it's very open on the top and it sort of gets narrower. And this to me is the key key line. And so you need to be able to have an ear that is open to everything, but you have to acquire for yourself a right, a lave mevin lishmoa, a heart that understands how to listen to the words, to those teachings that say tame, and to those teachings who say that something is tahar. Right, for to those who say something is prohibited and something that's permitted, Right, and to those words that are say something is asur and something that is kasher. And so then Rabbi Yoshua basically says to Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka and to Rabbi Elazar ben Chisma, right? It is not an orphan generation where Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah dwells in it. I, I think this teaching of Rabbi Elazar ben, ben Azariah is probably a core tenet, at least it's a philosophy of mine in life, but a core tenet of how we learn Torah and how we approach life. That a person basically has to develop which I think is essentially the practice of radical empathy, right? That a person has to be able to listen to another side and you don't have to have the answers to everything, but you have to be able to sit in a Beit Midrash and be able to hear one person say it's Tameh and one person say that it's Tahor. And I think this is why Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah ultimately becomes the Nasi to replace Rabbi Gamliel and why he's able to open up the Beit Midrash to all the Talmidim who are actually, you know, not were prevented from learning before, because he has right? He has this ability to listen to everybody. And if you go back to that Gemara in Barachos, right? And this is the part that's on Chavchat. It talks about that that day that the Beit Midrash was open is the day that Masachat Edjo, right? The earliest Masachat, literally it means testimonies of Mishnah was written, which is essentially just a series of Machlokas. Beit Hillel says this, Beit Shammai says this. And that really the practice of learning is an activity that is, allows you to acquire to Kanelacha, Leib Lahavin Lishmoa, that part of what we get out of learning Torah 
is this ability to listen to others and to listen to an opinion that is different than ours. I think this is a very radical notion of what the purpose of learning Torah is. I don't think it's particularly practiced this way today, but I continue to go back to this Gemara time and time again to really think, what does it mean to have a label, have been Lishmoa? How are we able to function and learn in this world from people who really disagree with us and that that's actually a value and it's actually the only way to actually learn Torah? Um, I think it's a very powerful passage, daf, everything like that. I think that it's really interesting in the crafting of the daf how this comes together with the discussion of the cheresh and the ilame and you know what does it mean to learn and what does it mean to be able to be a participant in the learning, um, meaning there's a whole range here, right? From the, if the part I read is simply about the physical and the rest goes on to talk about like what is our, our purpose of being, purpose of being learners and so on. Um, and I think that, as you said at the beginning of your, when you opened, that this is less in vogue today. Meaning I feel like maybe this daft should be like blasted from the, I don't know, speakers, something from the rooftops, that everybody should remember that we're supposed to be able to hear the disagreements, you know, fundamental disagreements and still remember that it's all from one source. Um, I feel like the amount of infighting that we see nowadays, ah, listen, there was infighting in every generation, but, you know, these past few weeks have not been better for for all that. And I feel like the DAF comes in a timely kind of way, but I have the feeling that this particular DAF is always a timely, you know, appears in a... I'm not saying this well. I feel like this stuff is always timely. Um, and um, I wish everybody would say, like, this is the reason that we learn. This is what Torah does for us. Right. So I agree with you. I think from a literary point of view, the fact that there's a concept here of, like, listening, you know, with your heart. Appears on the same page as Chayresh is fascinating. Um, and the idea that, like, there's all different types of listening, right? There's the physical listening we do with our ears. But there's also the listening we do from our heart, from a, from a place of empathy. Um, but yes, every time I teach this Gemara, I'm always like, I just want to travel the world and teach this Gemara. Because I think like, if you don't understand that, you know, it's the same thing. Like when you talk about Rabbi Akiva, that famous Gemara, you know, what's the key Pasuk? And he says, this to me is the key Gemara. Like, if you don't understand this Gemara, like, what else are you doing? What are you doing? Like, right, like, exactly. Learning isn't, learning isn't about understanding who's right or who's wrong or the fundamental like yes we need to know halacha, but learning is supposed to be an exercise to train us to 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 have an open heart and to want to understand the other side and to want to hear what other people have to say well that's our daft discussion for the day rank us review us on all major podcasts thank you to Rebanit michelle farber for hosting us on the hadron website let us know what you thought about this stuff on our talking talmud facebook page and until tomorrow go and learn